Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Becca Bruner. Hey friends, thanks for joining us today. We are jumping into week two of our series on the Apostles' Creed, this beautiful, historical, helpful synopsis of the Christian faith. Last week, if you were with us, you know that we talked about what it means to be a Christian. How being a Christian at its very core isn't about believing all the right things. Being a Christian isn't about behaving all the right ways. To be a Christian is to be a person who has experienced grace. To be a Christian is is to know to have received the grace of God given to all of us freely through Jesus Christ. So I I just want to say, if you haven't yet heard that message, last week's message, take some time this week, go back, watch the video, listen to the message, however you want to do it. Uh, but, But really, get clear on that concept because that's going to be so important for the remainder of this series to come. It is all about grace. And to that point, uh, before we get into the meat of today's message, I I just need to say that at this moment in our nation's history, with all that's been going on this week, for all that's been going on for a number of years, I sense that that we need that grace more than ever. And I've gone back and forth on this, whether or not to do this, but but truly my my pastor's heart really feels that, that we need to take a moment before we jump into the word to pray. And we need to pray and ask God for forgiveness. We need to pray a prayer of repentance. So I invite you in this moment to join me in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you today asking for your grace, for we need it desperately. Forgive us for stepping on the backs of others to elevate our own opinion. Forgive us for rooting our pursuit of justice in our own self-righteousness. Forgive us for our silence and our spiritualized apathy. Forgive us for our nationalism that believes that pride in this country means the preaching of a gospel that is centered around this country. Forgive us for throwing verses on pain like band-aids instead of throwing ourselves into conversations that expose areas untouched by you. Forgive us not for being human, but for lacking humility. Not for being afraid, but for being ruled by fear. Not for being outraged, but for making rage our ministry. May revival flow from our posture of repentance. May your grace come to us. May your grace flow out through us. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture tells us that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and God is just and he will forgive us all our sins. 
That's what grace is all about. And thanks be to God for that gift. So friends, a Christian is a person who has experienced the grace of Jesus Christ, and that's all of us in that moment. So if that's true, if that's true, then we're led to ask some questions, right? Who is this Jesus who gives us grace? How do we experience that grace through him? What, what kind of made all that possible? How does all of this work? Well, the grace of Jesus Christ is indeed the destination that we are all driving toward. And I believe that the Apostles' Creed is a really, really good roadmap to get us there. We want to get to grace and knowing and understanding and, and, and kind of taking in and holding on to the words and the ideas around this Apostles' Creed. Well, it's a really great way to get us there. So let's jump in with these very first words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe. I believe. We're not the first ones to speak these words. I want us to look at a story of a person who said them a long time ago. And this very beautiful, raw, authentic prayer, one of the most real prayers any person could ever pray. We're going to look at his story together, hopefully many of you along with me, reading from your own copy of the message. We handed them out last week at our drive-by blessing, but if you didn't get one, we still have more here at the church. We want everybody reading along together. We're going to look at the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9 starting at verse 14. It says, When they, being the disciples, they, the disciples of Jesus, came back down from the mountain to the other disciples, they saw a huge crowd around them, and the religion scholars cross-examining them. As soon as the people in the crowd saw Jesus, admiring excitement stirred them. They ran and greeted him. He asked them, What's going on? What's all the commotion? A man out of the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my mute son made speechless by a demon to you. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and goes as stiff as a board. I told your disciples, hoping they could deliver him, but they couldn't. Jesus said, What a generation! No sense of God! How many times do I have to go over these things? How much longer do I have to put up with this? Bring the boy here. They brought him. And when the demon saw Jesus, it threw the boy into a seizure, causing him to writhe on the ground and foam at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has this been going on? Ever since he was a little boy, many times it pitches him into the fire or the river to do away with him. If you can do anything, do it. Have a heart and help us. Jesus said, if. There are no ifs among believers. Anything can happen. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than the father cried, then I believe. Help me with my doubts. Seeing that the crowd was forming fast, Jesus gave the vile spirit its marching orders. Dumb and deaf spirit, I command you out of him and stay out. Screaming and with much thrashing about, it left. The boy, boy was pale as a corpse, so people started saying, He's dead. 
But Jesus, taking his hand, raised him. The boy stood up. After arriving back home, his disciples cornered Jesus and asked, Why couldn't we throw the demon out? And Jesus answered, There's no way to get rid of this kind of demon, except by prayer. I love the words of that father. I believe, said this desperate father, I believe, help me with my doubt. I think he might be speaking for a lot of us today. I know he speaks for me. I believe, but I have some questions. I believe, but I also have some doubts. So Lord, I'm gonna need some guidance with those questions. I'm gonna need your help with these doubts. Help me to understand. Help me to trust. Help me to just hang on. We're studying the Apostles' Creed in this season because I have a sense that all of us could use some of that help to some degree. And that's what this creed exists for. So for our remaining time together, what I want us to think about when it comes to the Apostles' Creed are three things. First, what it is. Second, what it does. And then third, what we do with it. So let's jump in. First, what is the Apostles' Creed? Well, the word creed comes from the Latin verb credo, which means I believe. And the earliest Christian creed on record was simply three words. Jesus is Lord. You said that, you were a Christian. Easy as that. That's the earliest Christian creed we know of. Jesus is Lord. But over time, it became necessary to explain in some greater detail what Jesus is Lord fully meant. What did Christians believe about God? What did Christians believe about Jesus besides the fact that he was Lord? What about the Holy Spirit? And so this longer creed began to develop, and there are some clues that some of the content that we now have in the Apostles' Creed was, was around, was in use as early as the first century. But it was sometime around the, the fourth century that it fully came into common use, and, and for the centuries that followed, this creed was the primary text that was used to instruct new believers as they prepared for baptism. Now, just as a, a little spoiler, uh, we want you to, to know that we're actually planning on doing the very same thing as some of those early Christians in those first, second, third, and fourth centuries. As we go through this creed, we are going to be inviting all of you to use the creed as a guide to reflect on and potentially commit to your own Christian faith. And on the Sunday after Easter, our plan, Lord willing, is that we want to hold a baptism celebration. We want to invite anybody and everybody to make that commitment, to take, make your own personal confession of faith and either be baptized for the first time or make a public recommitment to your earlier baptism. We want everybody and anybody to be able to have that opportunity, that life-changing opportunity to say yes to Jesus. So you're going to be hearing a lot more details about that in the weeks to come, but I just want to get that in your heads and in your hearts now. 
you know, the, there was a legend that was passed down through some generations that the Apostles' Creed actually got its name because it was written line by line by the actual original apostles of Jesus. Twelve apostles, twelve lines. You know, they knew Jesus the best. They knew what he, who he was. They knew what he said. They wanted us to know, so they wrote down this creed. And while it's widely thought that's not actually true, what is true is that this creed really does succinctly and beautifully express the faith of those original apostles, and ultimately it points to the risen Christ himself. So that's what the creed is. So the next question, why study it? Why learn about it? What, what does the Apostles' Creed do? As we seek to, to get to know Jesus, as we open ourselves up to his grace, well, the Apostles' Creed, it actually does a whole lot for us on that journey. It gives us some really important tools. First thing the Creed gives us is clarity. The Apostles' Creed, probably better than anything else out there, it gives us a clear, concise summary of the Christian faith, which, as it turns out, is something that a lot of us need. If the research that's out there is, is right, and I think it is, most of us were a little weak when it comes to the content of our faith. According to a, a recent study done by Lifeway Christian Research, a clear majority of Americans, 72%, they say that they believe in the Christian doctrine of the Trinity. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's pretty good. But you start digging down in the details, things start to get a little muddy. See, we, we believe in the classic doctrine of the Trinity, sure, but then most believe that Jesus was merely just a, a human teacher and that the Holy Spirit is kind of this ethereal force, not a person. Half of Americans, 52%, agree that Jesus was a great teacher, but they don't believe that he was God. Interestingly, though, while many reject Jesus' deity, most Americans say that Jesus did actually physically raise from the dead. Two-thirds, 66% of Americans, believe the biblical accounts of Jesus' bodily resurrection. They say that's completely accurate. There's a lot more to this, this study about our culture's knowledge of the Christian faith, or maybe lack thereof, but suffice to say that, by and large, most of us are a little bit confused. We're unclear. So the creed is actually really, really helpful for teaching us, for giving us clarity on the basic foundations of Orthodox Christian faith. We're going to have a moment to say this creed all together when the, the sermon's over, but let me just say it for us. Let, listen to it. And as you listen, ask yourself that question of, of what is it saying about the basic contents of the Christian faith? How does this give me clarity? The Creed tells us, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life 
everlasting. Amen. Now, we need to remember something really, 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 really important here. The creed is not a substitute for personal faith. You don't become a Christian by reciting a creed. You become a Christian by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. But the Christian faith does involve the head as well as the heart, using your mind as well as being stirred in your emotions. There's some real concrete content to the Christian faith. And the Apostles' Creed, it's just, as we've said, it's a good summary of that content, a way of easily remembering and saying what the Christian faith is all about. So the Creed gives us clarity. The Creed also gives us symmetry. Think about it this way. Remember like forever ago, right, when we used to be able to go work out indoors in a gym? Remember that? Remember, it was like, you know, this time of year, January, you'd go to the gym and it was really annoying because everybody who, you know, made these New Year's resolutions to get fit, you know, they were all there and you'd go and you'd try to get on your machine and you couldn't because everybody else was there. Then you go back in March and like nobody's there. So uh, at least I, I remember that. I've seen a lot of you at the Upper Mainline Y. I remember long, long ago. I know some of you go to Planet Fitness, you know, some of you other places, you know. A lot of us go to the gym, whichever gym you go to, I, I'm going to say most gyms have that, that one guy, you know, that one guy, that guy that, that, that's always lifting, right? Like he's, he's lifting the heaviest weights. He's like grunting sometimes as he does. He sometimes occasionally like drops like the really, really heavy barbells. Like it makes this huge crash after he's done however many, you know, reps he's doing that day. You know that guy? We all know that guy. Now think about this guy. Just get, get, get that guy a picture of him in your head. He has a distinct shape, this guy. As I think about it, he's kind of shaped a little bit like a pear, but turned upside down, right? And if you stuck a little couple toothpicks at the bottom, like that's what this guy is kind of shaped like, really, really bulky up top and really, really little on the bottom. <laughs> you know that guy. And while I wouldn't want to get into an arm wrestling match with this guy, right? Like he'll definitely beat me in arm wrestling. I think in reality, I might be able to take him. Because cause I run, I do squats, I work out my legs, and I, I work out all those really powerful muscles on the bottom half of your body. That, that's actually where all your strength lies. And so that guy, you know, I, I might be able to take him because all he's focused on is, the, is that, that upper half, the top half. And, you know, when it comes down to it, I, I wouldn't ever want to. But I might be able to take him just because he never wants to do leg day. So, say this. Because when it comes to our Christian faith, some of us, a lot of us, are kind of like that guy. We're really, really strong in some areas, but we're really pretty weak in others. We're asymmetrical. And it happens for a lot of different reasons, you know, because of who we are, our personality type, or, or because of how we were raised, or what kind of cultures or traditions that we grew up in we all tend to approach God in different ways. Some of us, we might describe ourselves as reverence people, right? We, we place a really high value on, on taking God seriously. And that's, that's a good thing, 
But if our emphasis is on the reverence of God and the transcendence of God, the otherness of God, well, then we can miss out on the fact that Jesus came into the world to identify with us, to be one of us. And so we need statements like, he was born of the Virgin Mary. We need to remember that, that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Well, some of us, kind of the other end of the spectrum, we approach God in, in a different way. We think of God in more relational terms rather than those reverential terms. You know, we em embrace the idea of living closely, intimately with Jesus and, and receiving his love. We, we live in that status that he gives us as sons and daughters of God, and we celebrate that there is nothing that we can do to separate us from that love. And if that's you... Well, you might need a statement like, I believe in God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, who will come to judge the quick and the dead. In other words, God has drawn near to us, yes, but, and, and God has given us intimate access to himself, yes, but that is never to be taken lightly. We can never take our relationship with God through Jesus Christ for granted. Some of us are, are more communal in our expression of faith. We may be those of us who have a kind of more extroverted personality. So we like to, to relate to God in community with others. You know, maybe we're from a, a culture that's, that's different from the, the modern West, a culture that, that's more kind of communally, familially oriented. And, and if that's us, we're, we might be helped with that statement, I believe. Emphasis on I. We might need to grow in our understanding that, that faith, it's a very personalized thing. Maybe you've heard this before. I, I love this quote that, that God doesn't have any grandchildren, which is, is to say you don't ever inherit somebody else's faith. Everyone has to have their own personal faith in Christ. And so that's why we say, I believe. But there are others among us who are more individualistic, more introverted, maybe more personal and, and private about their relationship with God. And so we need statements like, I believe in the holy Catholic church, Catholic meaning one, universal, worldwide, global, spanning, all times church. And we need statements like, I believe in the, the communion of saints to remind ourselves that, that God doesn't call us to himself in isolation. God always calls us to himself alongside others within the context of a community. So the creed, you see, it gives us clarity. It also gives us symmetry. Third thing the creed gives us is community. The Apostles' Creed binds us to other Christians across denominational boundaries, across national boundaries, across political boundaries, even across the boundaries of time. In Germany in 1933, it was customary in most Protestant churches that only the pastor would recite the creed. But after 1933, congregations started joining in that recitation. Why was that? Well, in 1933, in Germany, it became very important for Christian believers in the face of Nazi attacks on their church to confess their faith publicly. 
to affirm that their loyalty was to something much, much more than the state. So friends, when we say the words of this creed, we are standing shoulder to shoulder with those courageous Christians and with all our brothers and sisters in Christ, here in Paoli, down in Belize, across the globe, and in Cairo, and everywhere in between. We're standing with Protestant believers. We're standing with Roman Catholic believers. We are standing with Eastern Orthodox believers, followers of Jesus Christ who lived way, way before us, all the way back to the first century, and followers of Jesus Christ who are going to come way, way after us in the centuries to come. We use this one creed to affirm our faith. The Apostles' Creed creates and binds us into one beautiful, diverse community. So, we've talked about what the creed is, we've talked about what the creed does. Final question is, what do we do with it? How do we engage with the creed in a way that makes a difference, with a, in a way that, that makes us different? That's where the scripture we read earlier can help us so much. Even in the midst of our questions, even in our uncertainties, our struggles, our doubts, we can allow the creed to lead us to say with that father, I believe and help me with my doubts. Over and over again in this creed are those words, I believe, I believe. You know, whenever the Bible talks about believing, it, it has two parts in mind. The first is assent, intellectual assent, believing that something is real and true. To say, I believe in God, means at one level, I believe there is a God. I'm of the opinion that God exists. That's intellectual assent. And that's a really important starting point, right? We said earlier, faith, it's, it's about the heart and the head. Believing means more than just intellectual assent. The Bible talks about believing in, and that requires a step of personal trust. That's what the writer of Hebrews is getting at when in chapter 11, he writes the fundamental fact of existence is that this trusting God, this faith, it's the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. This is our handle on what we can't see to say, I believe, to say, I have faith, it requires trust. And so when I say, I believe in Jesus Christ, I'm not just saying that I believe that there once was a man named Jesus. I'm saying that I trust as much of myself as I can to that Jesus. Risking and, and trusting God enough to enter into relationship with him. John Wesley, he was the, the founder of the Methodist movement, and, and, and he would say himself about himself that he was a quote-unquote Christian for much of his adult life. He was only kind of there halfway. He'd, he, he'd known and he'd given his intellectual assent to the Christian faith, but he never opened his heart to the living Lord. Until one fateful night in 1738. One of his personal journal entries tells us all about it, that 
about how on that night, Wesley was on his way to a, a kind of church gathering. He was going rather unenthusiastically, he admits. I don't know if any of you can relate to that unenthusiastically going to church, but there he was. And he went, it was a gathering at a place called Aldersgate. And, and while he was there, somebody started reading aloud from a work called, uh, written by M Martin Luther. It was his preface to the Book of Romans. And as he listened to that reading, something started happening inside Wesley's heart. And he writes, he says, about a quarter after nine, while he was thus describing the changes which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt that I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and that he had saved me from the law of sin and death. You know, before that night, Wesley had believed with his mind that God could forgive sin. But it was on that night that he experienced God's heartwarming forgiveness himself. You know, I, I, I tend to think there's probably a surprisingly large number of people who think of themselves like Christians the way Wesley did. They believe that God is there, but they've never met him. They believe that God is able to forgive sins, but they've never really given God that opportunity to forgive their sins. They believe that God, in theory, is reliable, but they've never fully relied on God themselves. If that's you today, I just want to invite you. I want to, I want to encourage you to just make that choice, to, to let your faith move from your head to your heart. You know, this, this whole series on the Apostles' Creed, it, it, it's going to be a lot more interesting. In fact, your whole life will be a lot more interesting if you can make that leap from intellectual assent to personal trust in God. And no, you don't have to accept or understand everything in the creed right now to be able to do that. You can still make a move. You can decide to reach out in trust to the God who has reached out to you in Jesus Christ. One final way to think about it. Imagine. Imagine sometime later today you just start to feel a little sick and a little sicker and a, and a little sicker. Something happens and you discover that you, you've developed a really serious infection. And you go see your doctor and that doctor prescribes you a very powerful antibiotic to cure it believing that that antibiotic, antibiotic can heal your infection isn't enough to make a difference. Only by swallowing the pills can you be actually cured. So it is with the gospel. Believing that Jesus can transform your life is only one thing. Allowing him to do so is something completely else. In just a moment, we're going to share a video of kind of the, the Apostles' Creed being recited, recited by a, by a number of you. And even though we're not all together as we usually are in person, I want you to kind of pretend like we are. 
And wherever you are, with whatever level of faith you have today, I want to invite you to say these words with us. Pray these words with us. As together we say these such powerful words. I believe. Ask God to make those words real and true for you today. Let's say that creed together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. 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 Amen.